Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Born in 1879, physicist Albert Einstein famously worried about the potential for technology to be misused in ways that would be catastrophic to the future of the Earth. He wrote, I believe that the abominable deterioration of ethical standards stems primarily from the mechanization and depersonalization of our lives. I worry about that too. I'm not a Luddite, named for one of the bands of English workers who at the turn of the 19th century destroyed the machinery in cotton and woolen mills. But I have tended to prefer real people, real things in real time, until a series of events unfolded that opened my mind and changed it. Many, many years ago, people asked if we might record the Sunday services. My discipline at the time was to leave the pulpit and immediately and unceremoniously dump my sermon into the recycling bin. My feeling was, and still is really, that the sermon had been true for me at 11 o'clock that morning, but that revelation is not sealed. A beautiful description of Unitarian Universalist theology from our own Reverend Dr. James Luther Adams, revelation is not sealed. And that now it was time to let the past be past and to make room for new truths, new sermons. I resisted recording the services. But several of our youth came to me and said that other kids at school were trading recordings of their minister's sermons, if you can believe it, if you can even imagine, and they wanted mine. I relented. And then sometime in 2002, a letter arrived from a US military base in Afghanistan. The author was Air Force fighter pilot Jason True. He had written the letter during a graveyard shift, keeping watch for the enemy. He was unspeakably lonely for his new wife, Jennifer. Somehow he had discovered one of those recordings of our services, by then available on the web. He described how he and Jennifer would choose a time to lie down she at home in Louisiana, and he in enemy territory. They would close their eyes and listen to the service. Somehow it was bringing them tremendous comfort. We imagine we are lying together, he wrote, holding hands, feeling connected to each other and to all of you. I just wanted you to know. 
Jason's letter marked the formal end of my resistance to any way that technology might help us get the beautiful heart of Arlington Street Church and the life-saving message of Unitarian Universalism out into the world. When the pandemic hit and we were told we could not be together in person, I lay awake all night, night after night. The idea was literally unfathomable to me. My wife, Kim Moorhead, a former software engineer, said, we can do this. I'll help you. In his inimitable style, tech team lead Art Nava said, no problem. You sent me photos of yourself, which Reverend Beth printed out, and we taped up in the pews. And I learned to preach to an otherwise empty sanctuary, preach into a camera, imagining the lens as a magic doorway to you. It is. How is it that this time, threatened to take away everything I hold dearest, has become a time of deepening, of intimacy and laughter, of feeling closer than ever. Yes, it is thanks to technology, especially Zoom, to the heroics of our tech team, and to the willingness of Director of Music Mark David Buckles and our staff musicians to reimagine just what church music can be. And it's thanks to you who were determined not to let go of each other, despite the powerful forces that could so easily have torn us apart. I will never, ever forget this time when technology proffered a lifeline of connection and we held on tight. This year, we have welcomed people from across the country and around the world, throwing open the virtual great doors. When that great day comes that we can return to the sanctuary, some who have joined us during the pandemic will come through the physical great doors for the first time. And despite the fact that we know each other so well now, we'll finally meet each other in person. For many of us, especially those at a physical distance, Zoom will be your Sunday morning location of necessity or choice. We are completely committed to hybrid Sunday services. And as much as possible, we want to make the experience for those who are IRL and those who are virtual equally vivid. And while there are many things we don't know yet, one thing is certain we're going to need to make an investment in some technology. The total cost has been estimated at $35,000. Last month at our Nuns in Fun event with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, we got an extraordinary running start on the creation of the Tech Fund, a $7,500 start. Today, as we begin to raise our operating budget for the coming church year, my dream is that starting with our pledges today, we will fully fund that tech fund. This Sunday comes once a year when we're invited to remember the gifts that have come to us unbidden from this beloved spiritual community and to literally pay forward our gratitude to uplift and uphold it. It's a Sunday of promising to give. 
But I'm thinking, too, about receiving. During this pandemic year, I have learned so much about receiving. No matter how undone I am by having to be physically separated from you, the moment your beautiful faces appear in the Zoom room, I can feel the joy returning. There you are, reassuring me with the gifts of your attention, insight, humor, tenderness, and steadfastness. I have three very short stories to share with you today, bound each to each in having originated in the Holocaust and in illustrating the blurring of giving and receiving, receiving and giving, extraordinary devotion. The first story comes from my colleague, Walter LaFleur, who serves our congregation in Roanoke, Virginia. About a year after he started attending a Unitarian Universalist church, Walter was just beginning to know some of the people there. He hadn't joined the church yet and says he didn't really understand what it meant to be in community. Then he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. He was young and it was serious. After his surgery, people from the church began offering to help. He felt embarrassed by the intention, and he wasn't accustomed to being on the receiving end. His first reaction was to say, oh, thank you, but really, I'm okay. Thanks anyway. But he says stopping those people was a little like trying to stop a train. They just kept calling, kept coming, and bringing me the most delicious food, he says. He really didn't know what to make of it. And then one day, the minister emeritus, Don Kafka, called to say that he'd been cooking and wanted to come by and drop off some food. Don was 81 years old, living on the fumes of his meager retirement money. Walter wanted to meet him at the car, but Don wasn't having it. From where he lay recovering on the couch, Walter watched as this small, frail man got his walker out of the trunk lifted a basket of food from the back seat and slowly made his way to the front steps. His determination was astonishing. Walter was moved to tears. Don Kafka was born in Czechoslovakia and attended Reverend Norbert Chagbrick's church in Prague where the flower communion ceremony had begun. During the Nazi occupation, Don was imprisoned in Germany in a forced labor camp. We will never know what that experience made him, a passionate giver. But Walter LaFleur concludes, what I received that day was infinitely more than food. There's power in heartfelt giving, and there's power in genuine receiving, taking our place in the life-giving flow of give and take, humbling ourselves when we have something to give, and when we find the willingness to receive. A celebration of the covenant to love and to serve. The second story is just two sentences, yet it is a monument to friendship and the power of giving and receiving. It was told by 
97-year-old Gerda Weissman Klein, a Polish-American writer, human rights activist, and survivor of the Holocaust. I have read these two sentences over and over again. Here they are. Ilsa, a childhood friend of mine, once found a raspberry in the camp and carried it in her pocket all day to present to me that night on a leaf. Imagine a world in which your entire possession is one raspberry and you give it to a friend. The third and final story was told to Yafa Eliach as she collected stories that became her 1988 book, Hasidic Tales of the Holocaust. It was a dark, cold night in the Janoska road camp. Suddenly, a stentorian shout pierced the air. You are all to evacuate the barracks immediately. Anyone remaining inside will be shot on the spot. People pushed their way to the door, screaming the names of relatives and friends. In a panic-stricken stampede, the prisoners ran in the direction of the big open field. They reached it, exhausted, trying to catch their breath in the middle were two huge pits. Once more, the cold, healthy voice roared into the night. Each of you dogs who values his miserable life and wants to cling to it must jump over one of the pits and land on the other side. Those who miss will get what they rightfully deserve. Imitating the sound of a machine gun, the voice trailed off followed by a wild, coarse laugh. Even in the best of times, it would have been impossible to jump over them. But the prisoners standing at the edge of the pits were skeletons, feverish from starvation and disease, exhausted from slave labor and sleepless nights. Though the challenge was a matter of life and death, they knew that for the SS and their Ukrainian guards, it was merely another devilish game. Among the thousands of Jews on the field in Janoska was the rabbi of Blitzhov, Rabbi Israel Spira. He was walking in the direction of the pits with a friend, a freethinker from a large Polish town whom he had met in the camp. A deep friendship had developed between the two. Spira, all our efforts to jump over the pit is in vain, said his friend. We only entertain the Germans and their collaborators. Let's sit down in the pits and wait for the bullets to end our wretched existence. My friend, said the rabbi, man must obey the will of God. If it was decreed from heaven that pits be dug and we be commanded to jump, Pits will be dug and jump we must. And if, God forbid, we fail and fall into the pits, we will reach the world of truth a second later. So, my friend, we must jump. The rabbi glanced down at his swollen feet. He looked at his young friend, a skeleton with burning eyes. As they reached the pit, 
the rabbi closed his eyes and commanded in a powerful whisper, we are jumping. When they opened their eyes, they found themselves standing on the other side of the pit. Spira, we are here, we are alive, the friend repeated over and over, warm tears streaming down his face. Spira, for your sake, I am alive. Indeed, there must be a God in heaven. Tell me, Rebbe, how did we do it? I was holding on to my ancestral merit, Rabbi Spira said. I was holding on to the coattails of my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather of blessed memory. Tell me, my friend, how did you reach the other side of the pit? His friend replied, I was holding on to you. Beloved spiritual companions, we imagine we are lying together holding hands, feeling connected to each other, and to all of you, he wrote, I just wanted you to know. She said, we can do this. I'll help you. He said, no problem. There you are, reassuring me with the gifts of your attention, insight, humor, tenderness, and steadfastness. This small, frail man got his walker out of the trunk, lifted a basket of food from the back seat, and slowly made his way to the front steps. She carried a raspberry in her pocket all day to present that night on a leaf. And tell me, my friend, how did you reach the other side of the pit? I was holding on to you. I am holding on to you. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. There you are, reassuring me with the gifts of your intention, insight, humor, tenderness, and steadfastness. Tell me, my friends, how did you reach the other side of the pit? I was holding on to you. I am holding on to you. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and carry it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at or through our Facebook page. 
If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.